my wife and kids are down there. Um, besides where we work, we're pretty normal people. We have the same issues that other people have. Our kids can break down if their brother touches them. Um, <laughs> that doesn't change if you're on the mission field. But we are missionaries. I am blessed to speak here. I was here four years ago, and I've heard from people that some of you still have our prayer cards from when we were here four years ago. And our, we looked younger. Our kids were much tinier. But I wanted to let you know, in the back, by where the tithe is collected, there is a little area where you can get a prayer card. Um, they're double-sided, so if you want it to match your house. Um, the has our picture. When you see it, you can remember to pray for us. And it has our contact information, everything like that. So after the service, feel free to go back there and grab one of these if you'd like it. Every single one of you inside of your song sheet got one of these. Um, it's a place where you can fill it out if you want to with your name and your email, your information. And there's two things you can sign up for. One of them is to get our newsletter emails um, so that you can be up to date and pray for us. The other is to financially support us. Now, don't feel like you have to financially support us to get the newsletter emails. <laughs> you know, we you don't feel like you have to do any of this. You can go back there and put it in the gray box upside down and nobody will know that it's empty. But I would love it if you all filled something out on there. So don't feel bad about that. Um, I am really blessed to be able to come here and preach the Word of God. I'm going to be in Romans. I'm taking a chunk of Scripture that is probably too large for me to preach in one sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. Um, we are in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 17. And before we stand up and read this together, I want to give you a little context because it's helpful for me. And I think it'll be helpful for everybody. Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he did not know. He had not been there. He didn't plant the church. He was going to go there. And in the beginning, Romans 1.16, you see him started right out, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And gospel, just as a head, heads up this context for the whole letter, gospel is a message. It means good news. We know that. But this evangelion, this Greek word, was not new. It didn't come out when Jesus showed up on earth. They didn't come up with a new word for gospel. Gospel already existed. And what it was was a message that they usually sent out because in Rome, sometimes the king would go away and he would get conquered by somebody else. And Rome didn't know it. And so before the new king came in, they would send a gospel out beforehand. And they'd be like, good news, it's Octavius now. So you, need, you guys need to listen to Octavius. He's in charge. And so here's the good news. He's a great king, um, but you need, to, you need to pay attention. There's a very wartime word. And they would have had that association when they're dealing with it. They're like, oh, this is a good news announcement, and there's somebody else in charge. And you see that throughout the entire, the entire letter of Romans. Um, there's a lot of allegiance talk. Um, the good news is that this new king wants you to be on his side. The Bad news was if you're not, because he already conquered. He already did it, and that's a big aspect. Another aspect of Romans is that it is a missionary letter. He starts right at the beginning, Romans 1.5, saying, I am sent to all the nations. And then by the end of the letter, he's saying, I'm going to Spain, and I'm going to stop in Rome, but you guys are going to help me go to Spain, please. 
And so it makes me feel more comfortable preaching Romans because I'm a missionary saying, I'm in Ecuador, you guys help me, please. Um, but if you all have your Bibles open, we can stand together and read Romans 10, 13 to 17. The word of the Lord says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You may take your seat. That was the word of the triune God. Now, I am not preaching a sermon about missionaries' feet. Um, If anybody wants to preach about that, it'll be a different sermon. I am going to focus in on 13, 14, and show some of the mechanics of how missions works. Um how this goes about. And it's, it's really interesting because it seems simple. This is a, probably the most simple statement of how missions works in the Bible. And if you start to chew on it, we're going to find out it's not as simple as it comes across. So right at the beginning, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right. We know that. We don't feel overly confused by that. But we have to realize that it says saved, saved, which means there's peril there. We use that word. It's funny in the Christian culture. We use that word very lightly. If somebody is about to step in gum, we don't say, oh, I need to save you. We can warn them. We can say, hey, careful, there's some gum. But when we save somebody, that means they're in real danger. And this is really important to understand that there is peril involved. With everyone. He says, I am a disciple to all, or I'm a, I am bringing people to obedience of faith in all nations because all nations need to be saved. We use this way too lightly. I haven't heard it here, but I hear it around. I hear people say, That guy needs to get saved. As if it's just like a, oh, this guy. But listen, all humans are in terrible danger. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're here together listening to the word of God is because we need this. We need it bad. And so we see that saved aspect. We realize that there is peril and we are talking about danger. We talk about war a lot. And that's, that comes up all throughout Romans comes up in all that Paul talks about is war in their sides. And you can gain, you can win, you can lose. But there's real danger. Now, I don't have time to preach a sermon about what we should be doing in missions. But if you think about this, if people need to be saved, they need to be saved from something. Um, And that something is not a little problem. Okay, so if I'm going to be a missionary and I am giving somebody a sandwich and they are not saved, they're full, but they're not saved, we have a serious problem. If I give them new shoes and they walk around but they're not saved, that's a real problem. It doesn't mean I can't give them a sandwich. It doesn't mean I can't give them new shoes, but there's a priority that these people be saved because it is a serious danger. And so the Bible asks us, would you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And we say, of course not. 
But in missions, do we say, will we give them the whole world? But let them lose their soul. Will we be satisfied if they have good education, good jobs, shoes, clean water, but they don't have what they need to be saved? We won't. We can't be satisfied with that. So the mission of God that He has for us is much beyond helping people out in their situation. Because it is very easy, and you guys know that, to have everything and still be in terrible peril because you're not saved. So that's, that's the context, and it seems so simple. And some of you are in Sunday school, and you're thinking, if it, and it really is so simple, you call on the name of the Lord, and you're saved, then why are you talking about spending all this time training leaders? Because that's what I do in Ecuador. Why, why are you focused on that? Well, first of all, we have to think about how easy it is to call on the name of the Lord. We have to dissect that, and we'll do that as we go through the text. But we also have to think about how are we going to get people to know this message so that they can call on the name of the Lord. We need more troops. And that's a lot of what we spend our time doing is raising up new troops to go out and do this. But here's a little dissection of calling on the name of the Lord. People say, I don't want a bunch of theology. We don't need a bunch of training. I want the gospel. And I say, what is the gospel? I say, call on the name of the Lord. And I say, what is his name? You know, who, who is this Lord? How do you call? What are you being saved from? There's a lot of heresies floating around this town that all involve calling the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And what they're being saved from is the wrong thing. So if you say, I'll call on the name of the Lord and I will be saved from my bad job, Jesus didn't promise that. He's not going to give it to you. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved from bad health. Jesus didn't promise that. Call, and now that's, that's prosperity gospel. Health and wealth. Money and a healthy body. But there's another kind of prosperity gospel that we probably believe more often than we would think. And we shouldn't. And this is call in the name of the Lord and he will save you from a bad marriage. He didn't promise that. Call in the name of the Lord and he will save you from your kids growing up to be rebellious. He didn't promise that. The thing is, call in the name of the Lord and he will save you from the wrath of God that is being revealed against all unrighteousness on earth. And that's us. It's from sin. That's right, Jude. And... <laughs> That's what we are being saved from. But you, if you say, call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved, and that person is saying, I will be saved from a bad crop this year, there's a problem. That's when theology comes in. But theology comes into the whole kit and caboodle on here. We have, um, who is the Lord? And my illustrations are always going to be weird because I live in a different place. But I work with people in the jungle of Ecuador, people in the mountains, people on the coast. And people in the jungle, you go and you say, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And they say, we do. And then you have to say, okay, who's the Lord? And they say, the lake out here is the Lord. And you say, well, okay, that's, that's a Lord. That's your Lord. But when we say call on the name of the Lord, we need to know who it is. And I tell people up in the mountains where I live, who have heard about Jesus, and they're like, yeah, that's silly. And I'm like, what do you mean when you say call on the name of the Lord? They're like, Jesus. And so I ask them, who's Jesus? And here's a real common answer. He is a baby all the time. That's, that's a common thing in Ecuador. Jesus is a baby. He is always the baby, and he's important because he is the son of the Most High, Mary. Um, and this, this is important to find out, and it takes time. You say, call in the name of the Lord, and they think, yeah, I did. 
Call on Jesus. Yeah, I did. Because he, he's got Mary's ear. And Mary will take care of me. And so all of a sudden, you have to deal with things. This is getting more complicated. But it's not just in Ecuador. It's here. Because we say, call on Jesus to be saved. And you're like, yeah, I did. And then you find out, who is Jesus? Is he a great teacher? Is he a prophet? Are you saved? And there's enough people here that I'm sure a handful of you aren't. Maybe a bunch of you aren't. But the thing is, a lot of people spend their time saying, I have called on Jesus, and I'm saved, and they are not. And we know this because Jesus warned about it. So a lot of you are going to come to me saying, look at all these things I did for you, in your name, miracles, preaching, all this. And you'll say, I never knew you. He says, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's some, there's some time involved in this. It's not so simple to say, hey, call on the name of the Lord. Um, there's some difficulty. And I'm going to go into it more because Paul is trying to explain what he's doing and why he's doing it. And he's trying to explain that everybody can be saved, every single person, but there is a process involved. And so you have to ask yourself, even Americans, even people in a Reformed church here, who I am confident that you're getting good preaching all the time. In fact, I, I was glad that I got to do this today because when you hear my preaching, it'll make you more thankful for Travis's preaching that is coming up. <laughs> I know you guys are getting taught well, and, but there's still going to be people here who, when they call on the name of the Lord, it is not Jesus. Or you're using Jesus to get something else. You're using Jesus to find your own God. He's the ATM Jesus, and you're like, Lord, Lord, please, please, just help me get this job. Help me get this promotion. And who is the Lord? And if you have to choose between the good job and the promotion, who are you choosing? Or if you have to go to heaven and you have everything good but Jesus isn't there, would you, would you still want that? And you realize that what you're calling on, what you're hoping in, is something different than Jesus. So that's something, always check yourself. Because those are benefits, those are side, they're water trickling from the fountain of joy, but the fountain of joy is Jesus. And that is who we need. And if we use Him to get something else that's called idolatry in the Bible, and it looks different in different places, but it's not going to get us saved. We need the Savior to get us saved. And so the Savior is Jesus. And it says right here that is the Lord. And that's a huge aspect of calling on the name of the Lord because you can't call on the name of the ATM. You can't call on the name of the good buddy. He is Lord. And there is not one square inch, like Kuiper said, of your life that Jesus has not declared his own. If you have called on the name of the Lord, you didn't call on the name of somebody. He's now Lord, which means everything about you is His. And that's part of gospel. Remember, it's a wartime thing. It says, we're in war. There's a new king. Are you with him? And that's, that's a big deal. And so if he's Lord, then every thought you have, because he's one of those powerful lords that knows about your thoughts, every dollar you spend... Every minute you spend watching kitten videos on YouTube, that belongs to Jesus. He's the Lord. All right? And so he says, we're involved in something. I have a mission on earth, and I want your thoughts and your dollars and your minutes being involved in this mission. And you have different aspects of it. And he's going to teach us how to do that. And don't get me wrong about the cat videos.
videos on YouTube because they're funny. And part of God, a huge aspect, is that he is the fountain of joy. And he's happy. And he's good. And the, the mission is not a suffering thing. And really, God, God is filled with happiness so much so if you were to hear his laughter, it would probably destroy you. But he's so happy. So don't get me wrong. You can enjoy some kitten videos. But just realize that being Lord, he is in charge of everything. And so call on that Lord. But before you can call, there are prerequisites. And he does it in a form of questions, but you can see as the passage goes on, how will they call in him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? This is pretty important that you can't just call. There's some prerequisites before calling. And that breaks away Christianity from any rituals. You can't say, if I do this, then I'm saved. If I do this call, I'm saved. Because if you do a call but you didn't believe, then you've got nothing. And there's a whole lot of rituals out there, but he wants the heart. That's why the believing gets him. So where I live, they baptize you as a baby, and you're saved. And that's it. It took away all your original sin. You can re-get yourself lost again, but you're saved. And it's a ritual, and it doesn't matter if you believe or not. But it says right here, how, how could you call if you don't believe? And you can't. But around here in the United States, it's real common to say, come up, repeat these words after me, say this prayer. What that is is a ritual. It's the same thing. And, it, and so you guys can say a prayer and not believe, in which case it doesn't work. But you guys are Reformed Church, so you're probably not trying to get people to repeat a prayer after you. You're saying... We're going to train them well. They'll probably memorize a catechism. They'll probably come to church for 10 years. But know that if you memorize a catechism and come to church for 10 years and you don't believe, then you are not saved. And that's pretty basic. Before they can call, they have to believe. And realize that Satan has great theology. Really great theology. So there's something in believing that's beyond just saying, I know that this is true. There's a real treasuring aspect. That's what John Piper, a preacher, always says is we, we've got to try to show them that this believing is something more. It's believing that he is a treasure. It's treasuring him. The English speakers in Australia are trying to change their translation because believe just means I, this is a fact that I think is probably true. And I think it's the same way in the United States, which there's more to what we have here than believe. So the Matthias Media guys down in Australia are trying to get an English translation that says trust or rely because there's more of that in believe than saying, yeah, I think that's probably true. Like if you told me right now who was the current king in Thailand, because they just changed out their king, and you told me a name, I have no idea. But I'd say, yeah, I believe you. But that's not enough. You have to really believe before you call on somebody to be your Lord. And so that's, that's a big deal. And how are you to believe... How are you to believe if you don't hear? You can't believe something you don't know about. And that makes perfect sense. And we're getting into mission strategy here, and I don't have time to talk about it all, but it's really intriguing stuff. Because where I live in the mountain is a different culture than someplace where I go and work in the jungle. And, and people up in the mountain hear about what the people in the jungle are doing. And they're violent people, and they do the head shrinking thing, and they fight their enemies all the time. And they say, why aren't they obeying the rules? 
Because the funny thing, in Ecuador, for 15 years, guns have been completely illegal. And you go to the jungle and everybody's got a gun. And they say, why aren't they obeying the government? And I said, they've never heard a thing from the government. They live in the middle of the jungle. Of course, if they were to hear that message, they would not listen to it because they would say, what's the jungle going to, or what's the government going to do to us down here? Um, but they, they don't know that the government even has those rules. And they're out there living their own life. And there's a lot of people out there that don't know that there is a new king who is calling for their allegiance. And they can never believe in him because they have never heard it. And so that's why there's a, a message aspect to this that we cannot ignore. We can't say, you know, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. The gospel is words. It has to be. And it cannot be believed if it is not heard. And that brings into mind some language complications. Because right now I am preaching, and you guys understand me clearly. But you go to somewhere else, and they won't. They won't. So I, I'm going to preach to you in a language. I, I could use Spanish, but we're in Las Vegas, so you guys might know Spanish. So I'm going to preach the gospel to you in Bemba really quick. Um, are you guys on board? Like, are, you, are you ready to call? No, you can't. Because... Hearing means not just that there's some noise coming into your ear. If you're going to believe it, you've got to understand it. Which that brings in another complication to missions is you have to bring the message in a way that's understood. And there are a lot of languages. Between 7,500 and 15,000, depending on how you separate languages, still cruising around this earth. And you have to, you have to deal with that. There's one state down in Mexico called Oaxaca, that has about 272 languages. And they're distinct languages in this one little province. It's pretty impressive. But you know what? Those guys need the Lord. They need to be saved, which means they need to believe the message, which needs, means they need to hear it, which means it's got to get into their language. And so that's an aspect of missions that's pretty difficult. And then there's cultural issues. And if I'm going to hear something, I'm going to pay attention somewhat to the messenger. That always happens. But there's cultures that pay a lot of attention to the messenger. So you have to be careful. Because you could come in and be communicating stuff with your body that says something to somebody that you're not trying to say. So when I came here, I asked Travis what I was supposed to be wearing. And I borrowed a shirt from him. <laughs> So that it could reach and tuck in because I don't want to communicate something to you that I don't want to communicate. And sometimes when you look at me, it communicates something different. And it's funny because there's an Indian culture. If there's an image of somebody drawn, if they look one direction, they're evil. If they look another direction, they're good, right? And we don't know that. And we go there with a felt board and we say, here's Jesus. And he's evil. And we're communicating that without trying and then we say, he can save you. He's the best. And they're like, well, not really though, right? Because he's evil. And we have to be careful because every culture has these different things. And if I were to step in here and raise my middle finger to you guys, you would not be happy about it. But it's your culture who told you not to be happy about it. 
Because you can go a lot of places and raise your middle finger to people and they won't think anything at all. And I have a friend, an Ecuadorian friend, who when he talks, his fingers are always pointing, right? But imagine if he switched fingers. He would have no idea. But all of a sudden, you guys would say his message is not worth listening to. And so there's all these complications. I have to speak their language. I have to know things that I didn't grow up knowing. And fish don't know they're wet. And people don't know that they are their culture. And they are in a big way. And there's not enough time to talk about it, but it's very interesting. And because we live in what's called a melting pot, one of the bigger melting pots in the world, that means cultures are constantly clashing. And other cultures come in and they do things and they survive and it works. And so we've gained a respect for people without them having to conform to our culture. And we've gained a very direct way of communicating to where if somebody comes in with a message, we're going to listen to their words, right? But not every culture works that way. A lot of cultures say, if I'm going to hear you, that means that we've had a relationship for five to ten years. Otherwise, I don't know who you are and I don't care. Americans aren't like that. Japanese aren't like that. And the Germans aren't like that. But most of the world is like that. And there's scales, and you can look it up on the internet, scales of directness and cultures. And so that's another thing you have to deal with. You go and you say, call in the name of the Lord and you have to be saved. You guys are sinners. You need forgiveness. And they're like, you think we're a sinner. I'm no sinner. But you spend time with them and all of a sudden you're able to communicate more clearly because they have to hear this message in order to believe it and they have to believe it in order to call on the name of the Lord and they have to call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. So that's some missions strategy. Learn the language, learn the culture, preach the message out of the Bible. But there's something more. Because the next passage, the end of 14, beginning of 15, says, And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So there's, got, there's more in missions. That people have to call on the name of the Lord, which means they have to believe, which means they have to hear. But on the other side, other people have to preach it. That's part of what's going on. And for people to preach it, they have to be sent. So there's different kinds of mission workers that we see in this. There's preachers and, and there's senders. And God does have a method for missions to happen. It's not without words. It's with words. And there's preachers and there's senders. It seems really simplistic, but this is how it has to be. And there's a lot of confusion about it because people say missions is all about the goers, right? But what's more important, the goers or the senders? And I enjoy war books. I enjoy books about wars that have already been done so they can look back and say, oh, this is, was kind of the decisive factor. And a lot of times the decisive factors for battles and mainly for wars are long-term sending ability. They say the Cold War shut down because Russia was no longer able to spend so much money. right? And if you look at older wars, you blow up a train track all the sending ability for the soldiers goes away. And so a lot of this battle is the senders. A lot of it is the supply. And people, I've talked to people and they feel guilty saying, I should have gone when I was younger. I should have been a missionary. And I say, well, if you should have been, obviously that's, that's a bad situation. But I run into a lot of people and they think everybody in the church should be a missionary. 
And if everybody in the church is a missionary, if everybody goes, no one will send. And they will be down there and they will die. They will run out and it won't work. Because you go, especially if you go into a hostile context, it's not like the church is going to pay you. The church is one guy, maybe for 20, 30 years. And you read a lot of those missionary biographies, and it's a slow process. And you keep on moving through, but it's slow. And so, listen, if you are not supposed to be a missionary, do not feel guilty about it. Be a sender. And you guys can fill this out, and you can send us by praying. You can send us by giving. This church can send by training up missionaries who know the gospel who know theology, who can work through these things, sending out people who are willing to take the time to learn a language, to learn a culture, and to have a big impact, you guys can do that. So do not feel guilty if you don't go. But if you're not going, you should be sending. Do feel guilty if you're not doing something. You need to take part in this. And I think it was John Piper, a lot of people have said it ever since, but I think he started it saying, you can go, you can send, or you can disobey. And those are your options in missions. Now, if you are supposed to be going, I would love to help you do that. If you are not, don't feel bad. If you are supposed to be sending, I would love to help you do that. But if you're not, don't feel bad, you can go. But just don't do nothing. And don't say, my church does it. You guys need to take part because... There's a lot of things in the Christian life where they say, well, my church does it. My church prays, so I don't need to. My church studies the Bible, so I don't need to. My church disciples my kids, so I don't need to. Like, that makes perfect sense. We know, like, my church disciples my kids. They have one hour with them a week. I have 80. Um, no, we, I mean, we should be involved in this process, obviously. But it's the same thing with everything in the Christian life. The church is us gathering together to do it together. But we need to be involved in this. So that's part of the, the missions process. Is people have to be going. People have to be sending them. And it's really easy to do kind of sporadic, one-time things. We had somebody who wanted to send us deer meat when we lived in Africa to feed the orphans. And you got to think through these things because by the time that deer meat shows up in Africa, you spent $5,000 to send it over, and it's not good anymore. Um, so it, it's good to think through these things. And I, I remember, because I'm a nerd and I like Marvel movies, and all these things start coming together as I'm thinking of wartime, Captain America comes into my mind, and he's out there trying to raise money to send the troops to World War II, and he says, every war bond you buy is a bullet in the gun of our best guy, right? And we want to send bullets, but bullets a lot of times aren't enough if there's no soldier like, we need soldiers because the war isn't won by guns. It's won by soldiers who are using those guns. So we need to have committed missionaries out there. And that's why you go to mission fields, and you'll see an empty computer lab. Because somebody sent a bunch of computers, and nobody knows how to use them. Or you see the end of Wycliffe Bible translation projects. And they go and translate the Bible into a new language, which is fantastic. And they leave, and they come back in five years, and nobody's opened the boxes. Because they don't know how to read. And so this takes time. You have to work with these people, which means it's a long process, and we need to be committed. And you guys would never say 
that, okay, this person wants to date my daughter. Wow, they want to get married. They're serious. But he said, I'm only going to see you one or two weeks a year. Right, wait, wait a second. That doesn't sound like commitment. That sounds like you're not quite ready to commit. But in missions, that's what we're doing now. We say, I'm, I'm super committed. I'm going to go every year for a week. Right? And that's, it's not bad. But you're not marrying my daughter if you're only going to hang out with her a week a year. Like, that's, that's not who I'm going to say, you have my blessing. No, I, I want you there. I want you in the life. And it's the same way with missions. We need to stop with the enter in and retreat methods. Because it's fun, but it doesn't help. We go in, we break the line, the enemy line, and then we leave and they regather. And you know, our opposition is in the long game. The Jehovah's Witnesses came in and cleaned up after the Baptists in Zambia. And the Baptists were like, we're going to start a church here. We're going to start a church here. We're going to start a church here. And they're leaving. And the Jehovah's Witnesses come in after and they're like, would you like to know how to study the Bible? And they say, yes. That's oh, great. We'll teach you. And they take their time. And 10 years later, all those Baptist churches are now kingdom halls of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And we need to be in it for the long game because this is serious. And if you're thinking right now, like, why, why don't we want them to be Jehovah's Witnesses? I can answer those questions afterward. I know that might sound weird to a, a guest, and I don't want to do this. I'll, a lot of this might sound weird, so feel free to ask me questions afterward. But we have to be in there for a really long time because short-term efforts fade away. There was a, a research done on Haiti, on the short-term teams that went to Haiti over a 10-year period. And those short-term teams converted every man, woman, and child, statistically, to Christianity four times within that 10-year. Um, and you go to Haiti and you realize something, something didn't work there. Yeah, this, doesn't, this doesn't seem to make sense. That's just statistics, the numbers of the people who are going there and coming back. So that's something to think about. We need to be in the long game because others are. And it just makes sense. And before preaching and sending, there's something more. So I said we have to call in the name of the Lord to be saved, but in order to call, we have to believe. In order to believe, we have to hear. In order to hear, we have to preach. In order to preach, we have to be sent. In order for any of this ever to work is the gospel. Right? If Jesus didn't come, it doesn't matter. If the cross didn't happen, then it doesn't matter if they call. It doesn't matter if they believe. If this wasn't all authentic and real, then it doesn't matter. So the, the very foundation of this is the cross. The reason that people can call on Jesus and be saved is because he did leave his throne in heaven and come to a world of people who hated him and didn't want him. He did do that. He did live the perfect life that we were supposed to live up to being baptized for repentance. Even though he had nothing to repent, he did that because we would do it wrong. And he was going to do it right for us. He did everything that we were supposed to do right for us and then died like he never was supposed to. But we were. And so he died for us. He lived the life we were supposed to live, died the death that we were supposed to die so that we can call on him. But to call on him, we have to believe. Now, this is huge. This is huge. It's been that way ever since the beginning. 
in order for any of this to work, God has to save us. God has to make that possible because he's just and we deserve punishment. But he showed us from the beginning that he would, from the very entrance of sin into the world, God is cursing Adam and Eve. And he tells them in the curse, Eve, it's going to hurt. You're going to give birth. But one of those kids is going to crush the head of the enemy. But he'll be bit. He tells them, he doesn't even, uh, this one didn't even require words. He tells them, you can't be in the garden. You've sinned. You can't have this eternal life. And they're naked and they're helpless. And he kills animals. Animals have to die for them to have clothes. And all of a sudden you see man's sin causing other people's downfall or other animals' downfall in order for man to be protected. All pointing us to the fact that Jesus would have to fall. There's swords put up in the Garden of Eden, right? And you cannot go back through or these swords will kill you. You cannot go to paradise. So Jesus comes from paradise and takes the swords so that we can get to paradise with God again. This is the cross all the way back in Genesis. And then you see Cain and Abel, brothers, and Cain kills Abel. And the blood of righteous Abel cries out against Cain for condemnation from the soil. But when Jesus comes, his righteous blood is crying out for our forgiveness. Right? And then you see God's wrath against all mankind coming down on this world. The entire world. His wrath coming, but man is lifted above that wrath in an ark. And God's wrath was poured out on this world and Jesus took it so that we could be lifted above that wrath. The cross is central still and it's still happening. And then when they get out of that ark and they are in the world multiplying, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the whole earth. Go everywhere. And they say, we're going to stay here. And not only are we going to stay here, we're going to make a great city. And not only are we going to make a great city, we're going to make a great tower. And it's going to be great. And God told them to go everywhere. And they didn't listen. So he made their languages confused and made a bunch of languages. And they had to go out everywhere. Because if God's got a plan, he will do it. Like we're, not, we're not worried that he's not going to do it. He will do it. And he sent them all out because Jesus was going to die for all of those languages. And he was going to send people out to preach this crucifixion and this salvation to all those different people to bring them back. And realize that what I've just talked to you about, the cross, is, is only a couple chapters of Genesis. But what we want is people to know who this Lord is and what he has done so that they can call on him throughout the whole Bible. Genesis and Exodus all the way through Revelation. And you'll see the cross is central all the way through. And this is what we're about. And this is why we can call on the name of the Lord. And I hope that all of you have. And if you haven't, please do. Believe this. It's true. And it seems too good to be true, but it is true and you can do it. And if you believe it, get involved in it. Go or send. And don't forget this whole time to praise and thank the Lord who made this possible. Because it's not always about the work you're supposed to be doing. Sometimes you just have to calm down and say, this work that I'm involved in, this is what Jesus did for me, right? I was an atheist my entire growing up life. And some guy gave me a Bible outside of my junior high school. I read that Bible 
to try to convince Christians that Christianity was wrong. Right? That, that's the guy that Jesus died for. That's the guy that Jesus sent some guy. I don't know who it was. I'll never know. Jesus sent some guy to give that kid a Bible. Jesus gave me the heart to read through that Bible. Jesus gave me the faith to believe what that Bible was saying. That's this guy, right? And so I can just sit and be happy because he did that. And I can also go help other people with that. All right. I'm just going to end it abruptly like that. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for bringing the message to us. Thank you for giving us hearts to believe, to call on you. I pray, Lord, that you would give the heart to call on you and believe to all who are here and that you would use them to bring that message to others, whether it be through going or sending or both as we often live in. I pray, Lord, that we would be involved in that. I pray that your name would be glorified in us, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. In Jesus' name, amen.